Hi, I'm George, and this is Naughty by Nurture. Joining me are... Andrew. Megan. Oh, sorry. Megan. (laughs) Off to a good start. (laughs) I feel good about it. This is auspicious. (laughs) What are we talking about today, George? Well, today we're talking about... uh, Megan's going to walk us through the psychological concepts of cognitive fusion and cognitive defusion. And we're going to use those to examine and pick apart the role of narrative in our psychological lives. Uh, The ways that people tell us stories to make us feel things, to make us want things, to make us do things. And the stories we tell ourselves to get through our days. Or to build debilitating barricades that make it impossible for us (laughs) to do anything. (laughs) Gotta have those stories. Love those stories. stories. Gotta Gotta have have stories. stories. (laughs) <laughs> cognitive fusion yeah yeah what the hell is that good question I like Sounds know tasty. things and have never read a book so <laughs> could you help me out sure so in act acceptance and commitment therapy this is a, a a big a central concept and cognitive fusion is the it's our tendency to over identify with our thoughts so like viewing ourselves and our world through our thoughts as though they're the truth right but the thing is that thoughts are just thoughts and and they're not always the truth is is cognitive fusion related to the concept of being stuck in your head yes absolutely yeah yeah so there's often thoughts that we sort of ruminate on that we get we get stuck in or we can sort of disengage with the world and and just sort of live our lives in our heads yeah yeah so that's that's a good that's one sort of manifestation of cognitive fusion but thoughts are really they're just like words and pictures and memories etc that are sort of floating through our minds and we give them meaning but they're not the end-all be-all of life and sometimes they can feel that way so what is sure? the end all be all of life? Andrew? <laughs> Thoughts? Um, the end all be all of life, gosh. Uh, you have 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, to die, I think, right? Yeah. To just be miserable for a while and then and then stop, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what I've been going with. Yeah. I think that's, that's the official position of the Naughty by Nurture podcast. I, I believe yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're all on the same page but, with that. Megan, so you're, you're, are you are you sort of talking about? It kind of, so it sounds like this idea is that you you can't always trust your perception of. I mean, maybe trust is not the right word to use in this context, but that uh, to to try to be conscious of understanding that the way you are feeling about the world as you are passing through it is filtered through your own mm-hmm. emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that that. You know that that doesn't necessarily represent, you know, from from an outsider's perspective, what is literally happening. Yeah, yeah. So through our life, as we're learning language and socializing and et cetera, we're building this sort of knowledge base of how the world works, and we do that through stories, right? We do that with with narrative. So what our previous stories were like as as we're growing up, we we have we develop these associations, 
and those stories build on 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 each other right so like for example we might have a family dog growing up and that's that's sort of our foundation for what dogs are like when we meet other dogs we we sort of assume that other dogs are like the dog that we know right and maybe sometimes we come across a nippy dog and we're like what the fuck this dog's kind of a dick and we have to sort of adjust our story of what dogs are you know and that gets more and more complex and um well mm-hmm. like one of two things happens either our story gets more and more complex or we just start excluding more and more of reality <laughs> from our stories exactly yes that sounds so much easier <laughs> yeah uh well um in a sense it's easier in another sense it's really really not because it's, it's one of those things where, like, the upfront labor cost and the overtime labor cost give very different impressions of the workload. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I guess if um, if we stick with the dog narrative here, if we grow up with a really, really friendly dog and we refuse to acknowledge that there are other dogs out there that are kind of dicks, that can get us in trouble. Or if we grew up around a, a dick dog and we never um, accommodate information that there are some dogs out there that are chill and cool, then that's... Then we won't be able to post dog pictures for likes on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. And what a sad world. What a sad life. Yeah, so ultimately, cognitive fusion is about being able to sort of inhabit the world through your thoughts right being able to sort of like just sort of assert definition on the world around Mm. you by thinking about it yeah and then cognitive diffusion is about you know just sort of being able to establish some distance between yourself and your own inner life such that you can see the gaps you can see where the light goes through exactly so with cognitive fusion being the process of believing that our thoughts are literally true Cognitive defusion is the ability to regard thoughts simply as thoughts. So the result of diffusion is usually to decrease the thought's power over us and sort of loosen our our attachment to the thought. So it's not necessarily that we're trying to evaluate our thoughts for truth or um, believe or, or disbelieve them or try to change our thoughts, but to notice what they are like for example some thoughts that we have are true right (laughs) sometimes the thoughts that we have are not true and we can sort of fuse with those and and treat the world as though they are true and then the world doesn't respond back in a way we expect and that can give us problems but um sometimes our thoughts can be true and they can still fuck us up Right. Sometimes they can be accurate and really unhelpful. And to be sort of fused with those thoughts is a problem. So, for example, if I get too stressed out, I'll get sick. I have an autoimmune disorder. And so when I'm under a lot of stress, I get physically sick. And the thought of that fact is itself extremely stressful. So if, I, if I'm sort of stuck with that thought, it actually fucks me up a lot more, right? And so there are some thoughts that we 
can have that are true or accurate, but that staying with them <laughs> doesn't help. Yeah, like even even when your thoughts, you know, adhere to reality, being able to see them for thoughts and being able to see yourself as a thinking thing who can think about whatever they want, you mm -hmm. know, just being able to assert that sort of self-control almost, being able to, you know, by seeing the distance between, you know, any given thought you have and like the aggregate of both your experience and the world around you, uh, it both keeps you from getting stuck in negative thought loops mm -hmm. and also just sort of it gives you like a, a healthier or a more coherent perspective on the things that you're actually willing to you know stand up for to, to live by to just mm -hmm. take as operating assumptions of the world my question is mm -hmm. what do you do when all of your thoughts are correct I'm asking for a friend. Well, that's a, actually a really great question because <laughs> because then the question becomes, okay, and like, how does that help you? Like, is that thought workable? Does it does it help you to live according to your values? So, if your thought is completely true, what? Okay, does it help? Well, does it help what? Does it help you live? A life according to your values. To know what if, that what if every thought is right is being correct. <laughs> um. Well, we might like it's we a, might want to be right and not wrong. We might want to fine tune some of those values. We can we can talk about <laughs> we can we talk might about fine tune some of those values, but <laughs> sounds so, like it's working pretty good for George. All right. Well. All right. So then it sounds like you're doing great. A plus. Well, I mean, part of co part of cognitive <laughs> diffusion is being able to see the daylight between a thought that may be true or not, and the context of the wider world, right? Like part of, uh, I think, like uh, speaking personally, uh, an area where cognitive diffusion has been important is being able to not identify too heavily in my own failures. Mm. Uh, you know, being able to recognize that there are things that are out of my control, and being able to recognize that mistakes I made in the past don't actually resound forward in time eternally and damn me mm -hmm. as a broken mm -hmm. person. And, you know, while those, like, individual assessments might be true or have a truth in them that you can't really write off or ignore or compartmentalize, in a way, it's almost resisting compartmentalization to step back from it. You know, you're sort of, you're making the space bigger. You're allowing that while the individual thought is true, you know, for instance, I'm broke. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's very easy to make it so that that, that thought, in its truth, sort of circumscribes. Mm -hmm. You know how you see yourself and how you and like how you filter through the world. And uh, obviously, there are really big practical limitations uh, depending on the specific thought of how much you can actually step back from that. Sort of depending on your resources and your general level of comfort. Mm -hmm. But even if it is actually practically materially hindering you, uh, being able to see it as a thought, you know, being able to see your thoughts as thoughts rather than to see your thoughts as an emanation of your inner true being makes it easier to use them, to adapt to them, and to, I don't know how to put this. I mean, to you know, it just it makes you better thinking. at thinking. 
Hmm. Yeah. 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 The psychological flexibility is, I think, the construct that you're talking about there, because it's, I think what what you're describing is there can be sort of a, a myopia, right? There can be a narrow fixation on a part of the picture. And so, for example, if being correct is the only thing that, if that's the most important and the only thing that's important, then for example, you might miss out on being kind or or being you can be sort of correct, technically correct, but also like you could also miss out on a bigger picture or so there's that sort of the ability to you could spend six hours in an argument on the internet right right, exactly. It sounds a little dangerous to me because it sounds like you're saying in that scenario you would ultimately be less correct. So I feel like I'm not understanding <laughs> this trade-off. Doesn't seem quite. I don't know. You know, the, the important thing. The important thing to remember basically is that there are different sort of axes of correctness. You know, and that the truth or the resonance that a given thought has only goes so far. Like the the danger of cognitive fusion is that you can't see. If you're if you're totally immersed in your own thoughts, you sort of can't see the limits of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, even a correct thought is sort of bounded very heavily by you know your own experience and knowledge and context. And you know, having you know, I don't want to say humility because I'm ideologically opposed to humility, <laughs> but having the the sort of I don't know the egotistical temperance to say, yeah, sure, I'm right about every individual thing. But am I right about every individual thing constantly at all times? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not. And, and then just be, being able to recognize that while, you know, in aggregate, you're obviously flawless and right in all ways. In any given instance, you could be not as maximally correct as you could be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I can't Oh my god. And anyway, that's what cognitive fusion means to me. <laughs> oh boy. Thoughts? Oh, oh my god, so many. <laughs> well, are you fused with them? Uh, no. No, no, I'm just I, do, I feel a little ruled by these thoughts, a little overwhelmed by them. <laughs> um So I mean, well, I don't know. Do you have any ideas of some some kinds of thoughts that that you have that might be accurate or true, but that aren't necessarily helpful? I mean, I feel like that's sort of that's almost a definition of anxiety to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. Is a, a, a thought that's so intrusive that it overwhelms that it overwhelms your thinking, that it leaves you mm-hmm. unable to process anything else, even if it's something that you consciously know to be a small deal i don't i Mm -hmm. mean i don't know like like it would be really easy for a clunk while you're driving to spin out into uh, oh my car's gonna break down and then i won't be able to get to work and then i'll lose my job and then blah 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 Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i'll i won't be able to make rent and you know it's easy to see how that can sort of turn into a panic but Mm -hmm. but i don't know yeah, or uh, I guess on a sort of political level, on a cultural political level, terrorism is, right. I think, a really powerful example because it's like 
uh, yes, this thing exists. It's there. Uh, is is ISIS our biggest problem? Well, no, I mean, but that's been... <laughs> right. And that was a false flag from the start anyway, since Bush did 9-11. Exactly! So that, sort of, exactly. that trouble was coming from... The call was coming from inside the house, so to speak. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that that's one of those true thoughts that you actually do want to fuse with. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great point. But yes, point. It, like, politically, yes, it's, it seems like a very common tactic... Or, I mean, I don't know that I would call it a tactic. I'm not sure that... I, I don't know how nefarious it is, but it's certainly something that is dependent, depended on, right? That that conceptual political ideas take root in your mind and sort of overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially ones built on fear. Yeah. You know, like, oh my god, like, yeah. Uh, the, the, Love it. You know, Andrew bringing up anxiety, I think, is a really key point, because, you know, like we were talking in our anxiety episode last time, you know, one of the principal effects of anxiety is that it makes your world smaller. And the same is true of, of cognitive fusion. It's sort of like the boundaries of your world, the boundaries of what you're aware of, are the boundaries of whatever you're thinking at that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's both a really common consequence of anxiety, and it's, a loss, it's also a really easy way to get stuck in an anxious loop. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, when you ruminate. Yeah. Uh, which obviously is something that cognitive fusion uniquely encourages. Yeah. Because, like, if your thoughts are the sum total of your existence, you know, the thoughts that you're thinking at this exact moment are just the entirety of what it means to be alive and aware of the world, then why wouldn't you dwell on them constantly? If you stopped, you would <laughs> literally cease to exist. <laughs> they, become, they become your identity. You know, mm-hmm. your thoughts become your identity. Yeah. It's cool. It's a cool thing we have going on here. On I'm pro cognitive fusion. You seem to be pro most things. <laughs> <laughs> She's very easygoing in that way. <laughs> um pro masculinity. Pro, pro dissociation. Pro anxiety. Pro anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Love all this stuff. Pro all the bad things. Pro, pro ISIS. Pro ISIS. Super very oh, pro ISIS. We talk about that a lot off the air. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I'm not actually, just in case. <laughs> don't don't send anyone after me, please. So yeah, okay. So cognitive fusion. Uh the other side of that is cognitive diffusion. And that's something that ACT does a lot of focus on is that process of diffusing and getting space. How does ACT uh, help us get space for life. Yes, very good question. So there are a number of different techniques or ways to approach doing this. Um, actually, how about we go ahead and try one of these techniques? Is everybody ready to do something like that? I think so, and what I think is all that exists, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so one way we can diffuse... Let's take, we'll start with a a sort of a a mundane word, common everyday word that tends to be less charged for people. The word snow. Let's take the word snow. What do you think of when you think of the word snow? Was that an impression of of snow? I think of how it sounds while while it's falling, I think. I think of looking out at night. When the streetlights are lighting up snow, 
I think of the crunch of it under my feet when I'm mm-hmm. walking in it. Mm-hmm. I think of the cold air, cold, dry air, and the quiet, that like very particular quiet that comes after a snowstorm, because mm-hmm. it's muffling all the air. Yeah, like insulation in the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the main thing that comes to mind when I think of snow is like uh, the mental image I have of like right after a snowstorm, like the morning after, when virtually the entire landscape, you know, like this. I grew up in a place where there was always a lot of green space, and you know, so there were, I could always look out my window and see like these big expanses of sort of you know just completely flawless, smooth white, you know, snow. Then, you know, but if it was late enough and people had to start actually getting out and going out and doing stuff in the world, there would always be, like, one set of footprints through the snow mm-hmm. where, you know, Jesus carried someone to school. <laughs> and that, that's, that's, I guess, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. When I You're excellent. <laughs> okay. So now I want you both, and, and for the audience listening, you can you can do this too if you're in an area where it doesn't feel totally ridiculous, or you can still do it even in a crowded area and people will look at you funny and it'll be cool. Um, I want you to say the word snow repeatedly for one minute straight out loud. You want us to say it now. Yep. I want you to go for it. Snow, 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 snow. Everyone, stop listening at this point. Yeah, really good listening. Wow. Has it been a minute? Uh, it's definitely combined, probably, all three of us, if you added it all up. All right, all right, all right. I've lost all track of time. What? You were? I've lost all track of time. Okay. So, snow. What does it mean? What do you, how, What do you, What comes up now when you say it, when you think of it? I just think of someone's lips moving as they say the word snow <laughs> over and over again. Ah. Uh, I think of white, whiteness, white stuff falling, you know, frozen frozen water frozen rain, I guess Alright, well we need to keep saying it if that's what, you need to just I think I mean, I (laughs) I think a lot about the word snow like the letters (laughs) that make up the word snow Right, right, right S-N-O-W Have you ever chewed a piece of gum for so long that it sort of dissolved into these gross fibers in your mouth? I'm literally doing that right now That, that's what Meg is trying to do to the word snow. Yeah, essentially. Well, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so this is diffusion, right? This is a way to uh, get some distance from our previous associations and meanings of snow, right? So it, it sort of gets boiled down to the phonetics and the the just the 
the, the onomatopoeia of it. Yeah, exactly. The the just the fact that snow is a word and we imbue it with meaning and we can sort of through this process sort of take away that meaning too, right? You know, it sounds suspiciously like what cognitive diffusion diffusion points to is the idea that beneath thoughts and the foundation of thoughts are sensations. Say more. Well, you know, you're talking, you know, with the specific example, when we're talking about, when we use the word snow, and at first we have associations with, like, specific images or memories. Mm-hmm. But then the goal, you know, what happens if you just sort of say the word over and over again on purpose until, like, all words that get said over and over again in a short span of time, it sort of loses all meaning, mm-hmm. is that it's just the phonics of it. It's just the sound. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the way it feels on your lips. It's the way it rattles around in your ears. It's the sensations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as if, like, that's the thing that's that snow. provokes the thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, snowness is a story that we tell and attach to those sensations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. There was never actually any snow in front of us during this whole time, but it was sort of easy to invoke it in the beginning and sort of have a mental image of it. And then suddenly it's like, oh, snow is a word. I mean, I can see a little bit of snow. (laughs) Um, Well, you you basically live in a Thomas Kincaid painting. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Just like, Andrew lives in like a gingerbread house with, you know, big bluey, you know, snow pumping <laughs> on his roof. You know, everything shining from within with it's dozens true. and dozens of candles. It's true. It's incredibly rude and cruel to say lots of true things about me. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't care for it. That just because they're true doesn't mean they're helpful. <laughs> 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 um, okay. Okay. So. This process can also be applied with much more emotionally charged words and concepts, right? So snow is sort of a a pretty mundane example for most people. But things like thoughts that we might have or stories that sort of come to us that rip us and that we get consumed by words like ugly or stupid or crazy you know, there are some of these words that we, that, that have these emotional charges that can kind of, that can paralyze us, that can kind of keep us, that can torture us, right? We can torture ourselves with some of these words. And importantly, like all torture, you're not actually extracting any useful information from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So when we become fused with with some of these thoughts, um, like I'm a loser, um, nobody will love me, things like that. Um, all true things that we all think. <laughs> yes, they might be true. Doesn't matter. Well, I- I'm going to get back to whether the the idea of I'm a loser is counts as true or not. But, oh, we'll get back to that a while. Yeah, because there's a difference between evaluations and descriptions, but. That's, I'll get back to that. Anyway. Right, you might evaluate yourself as not a loser, but <laughs> objectively. Anyway. Oh, I love that word, objectively. Yeah, objective. So good. <laughs> so, so we can do this same technique with words that are, that are charged, that have 
painful meanings for us. So like if we were to do that with crazy, because a lot of people have a, a very, the relationship with the idea of like, I'm crazy is painful. So what does crazy bring up? Andrew? Well, I feel like for me, initially, it brings up a lot of popular media depictions of crazy, quote unquote, you know? Like, like what? Like, like crazy people. I'm thinking, you know, like Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys, that kind of zany off the wall, what might accurately be called uh, like a schizophrenic, maybe, I guess. I don't know. I don't know actual diagnostic terms, but... Mm-hmm. But someone twitchy and jittery and, you know, that's one of the images that comes up only because of my media saturation, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the power of media saturation, especially with regards to diagnosis, is that, you know, schizophrenia isn't actually a specific disorder with specific criteria, right? right? It just means super saiyan crazy. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) I suppose in part because that's the word that they go to in popular media Mm -hmm. when they are, you know, looking to not be the 50s anymore so you can't just say someone's crazy so you need to sound you know you need to have some sort of prognosis some sort of you need to pontificate you to a bit. It. right right if something sounds scientific enough then it's just science right mm-hmm. right there's no social implication there's no there's no broader implication about kindness or treating someone a good way or a bad way or yeah, abusing I mean, someone because even, it's science yeah and there's there's not even any commitment to any underlying rigor it's just right? the aesthetic of science the phonics of it you know yeah. it's almost like you've cognitively diffused from yeah. doing science and just <laughs> reduced yourself to sort of the base science sensations you know yeah. the sight of a white lab coat the sound of a it has the, it has the feeling of science it's sciency you know, the, the hammer of the family court judge after they sentence you to, you know, isolation. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So now let's use crazy for the diffusion exercise. Right, and so if you, crazy, 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 and it's a minute straight, we can, we can have some space from this idea, this narrative that I'm crazy. So you're not necessarily, you're seeing that that is a thought. It is, is a narrative. It is not the truth. How much danger is there of me convincing myself that I am crazy? Uh, very. Well, it depends. How crazy are you? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like pretty crazy. Well, well let's you do totally it. Lean into that feeling. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's try it right now. I want to hear will, you say. Wait, 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 wait. You saying wait. the word crazy over and over again? I'll edit. Have... I'll edit it so that we're not. It'll make sense. Don't worry. Okay, because I don't want to. We're not going to. I don't want to make listeners sit through us literally just saying one word over and over again for like four minutes of this episode. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to be honest, I kind of do. I'm willing to trust you guys. Then they're going to feel like they're crazy. <laughs> well, maybe they are. Yeah. Come on now. Come on. Now. I'll edit it. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is absurd. Don't worry. If you can trust Megan to do one thing, it's to edit out the parts where we sound dumb. Yeah, thank you. Especially if she specifically sounds dumb. No, I, I do. I help you guys out too. You just relax. Well, you can't help me out because everything I say is correct. <laughs> anyway, oh, Andrew. Sorry. So, which you want? You want me to do crazy? Yeah. Just say the word. All right. All right. Hold on. Do it seriously, like you know, Jared Leto and Suicide Squad. Exactly. 
this is an Os- an Oscar worthy performance yep. of the word crazy. No, see if I'm thinking about if I'm joking about it, then it's not going to work. Let's well, the it. point is that if you just if you keep doing it, then it right. doesn't actually matter what you're doing about it because that'll all just sort of fall away. Yep. All right. All right. Crazy. 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 It's been a minute. All right. What is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm just thinking a lot about those the, the phonetics, basically the sounds of that word. Yes. Crazy, but like big time. That's just like, yeah, the word sounds funny now, which is a very common experience, I think. <laughs> yeah, but so I mean, how does that? I don't know. Can you see how that has an impact on your relationship with the idea of crazy? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it, it's it's in essence a kind of grounding technique, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was the other thing that I felt like I was experiencing was a more more pronounced feeling of presence, like physical presence, mm. mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, like much more aware of sitting in the chair that I'm in and how my body felt. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like loud meditation. In a way, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's just sort of yeah. using using the sort of the universal human sort of brain quirk that if you hear a word enough times, it sort of loses its meaning and just becomes like a loose set of sounds. You know, being able to recognize that your brain can do that and using it as a targeted thing on specific words that are haunting you. Mm-hmm. It's very kind of looking at the monster that's chasing you in your nightmare and seeing there's a zipper coming out the back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of, it loosens the power it has over us. And so the goal with diffusion is not to change how we feel necessarily, because we don't want to use it as another control strategy, right? We don't want to use it as a way to avoid feelings that we don't want to feel, but it does. Yeah, at that point, it's just dissociation. Right. Right. Exactly. But it does sort of give us the space, this psychological flexibility to see around it right yeah there's there's a bigger picture and you can always and the way to see the bigger picture is always to zoom out Mm -hmm. to to get some distance between you and sort of the object of your attention exactly exactly and so there are numerous ways to do this and we can I'll, i'll provide a link to some other activities for diffusion but you can identify some common patterns, um, unhelpful thinking styles, and I'll, I'll link that. That's a really cool sheet. You can sing your thoughts back to yourself, 
right? So if you <laughs> oh, thought you said no singing, well, in this in this particular exercise, <laughs> but I guess you could, you could do that. Involves. You can you can say the thought back to yourself in a cartoon voice. What should we do if we just have a natural cartoon voice? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> um, do it in another cartoon character's voice. And that's so now we need like a whole repertoire of yeah. impressions. Yeah. Or otherwise we'll never be mentally healthy. <laughs> well then use a different right? technique. Then use a different technique. Um so perhaps you can notice when what you're thinking is a judgment. And instead of, you know, getting caught up in whether that judgment is whether it's true or not, is it helpful or unhelpful? Because it, it's about noticing when you're getting hooked, when you're getting caught up in that narrative, because that's what we tend to do. It's funny, because, uh, you know, talking about specifically in the context of identifying whether a thought is helpful or unhelpful, I also find is very vulnerable to this sort of retro narration, right? Like, it's it's very easy, I think, you know, for me at least, though I've noticed it in other people, to back solve for to decide whatever is helpful or healthy is what you were going to do anyway mm. mm-hmm. you know, like well it's just you know that it's sort of uh, locked up in the fact that helpful and unhelpful are necessarily like they're very context dependent right mm-hmm. and so shorn of the context they're very vague and nebulous words such that and especially within the context of cognitive diffusion, which is sort of the specific practice of stripping meaning away from things. Yeah. Uh, they don't mean anything, right? You sort of, you, you almost have to put meaning back on them in order to make the other thing mean less. And it's, this, this, is, this is a narrative act. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, does this fit in with the larger story I'm telling about who I am and what I want in the world? Yeah, yeah. So, the, and that's true. So that's that's a good point. And so, I think, in some ways, you're right. There is a risk of sort of getting hooked back into another narrative. So there's always sort of risks and hopes with each of these, right? So, for example, if somebody's wrong on the internet, it can be very compelling to argue with them for hours on end and convince yourself that this is helpful. This is I'm doing politics. Yes. Right. Right. So, so, so there is that risk of getting sucked back into a narrative that isn't ultimately, I guess, helpful. <laughs> but yeah, but the, the, the thing I, I want to, to point out is that, you know, the idea of helpfulness versus unhelpfulness, right, is also a narrative. It's mm-hmm. not like, there's not like an objectively helpful or objectively effective way to think or be. Right. Right. That. Right. What, what you have to do is you have to have the ability to step back and make like a judgment about the broader narrative. You know, mm-hmm. you can't really live a narrative-free life. You know, and right. this is this goes back to what Megan said, which I said she was sort of for cognitive fusion, right? Is that it's sort <laughs> of it's it's an essential part of being an alive human being with a brain that touches yes. reality in any way. Yeah. And that brings up a really important point is that the goal here isn't to try to suggest that life is meaningless, because I think that that can kind of be its own dark path, right? Dork path. Dork path, right. Um, but it's it's about contextually giving you space from the stories that your mind will tell you. 
and that those stories they get distorted over time you know so i mean they they spring often from our lived experience and sort of our our direct truths from first principles i guess but those don't always translate to every new context yeah like the the, the important thing is that there's more than one story yes and all these stories sort of they can describe different parts of your experience. They can also describe the same thing. You know, you have mm-hmm. to, you know, you don't want to just sort of pretend that you can be this, like, narrative-free monad of weird <laughs> sensory experience just sort of floating um... reality like some sort of fucking Tron grid. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, just just having the, 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 the tool in your toolbox to... You know, be able to recognize that a huge proportion of your experience is narrative, mm-hmm. right? It lets you see a lot of things that you would be blind to if you couldn't accept the possibility that the judgments that you make, that the things you see, uh, are sort of being categorized almost before you get a chance to actually think about them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that sort of it limits your sense of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And then once your sense of possible is limited, your sense of what's actually good or worth doing yeah. becomes sort of circumscribed by that. Yeah. So the idea here is to give you some space from whatever those stories are that are limiting you and to give you a chance to act in a different way. And from our sort of direct experiences we can get a better sense of what it, what our values are and what are the things that give us a sense of vitality or meaning, right? So, like, if we're, for example, fused with this idea of, like, if I don't worship Jesus, I'll go to hell. Yeah, just like the, the story that you could, like the, sto- like the story that you tell yourself about what constitutes virtue, about who is a good person, what is a good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, is sort of circumscribed by the sort of the specific ideological positions and rituals that you were sort of raised into. And you can't actually see them for what they are if, for instance, you uh, are homeschooled and you never mm-hmm. really get out and interact with people except for like arranged hangouts with other children of equally religious parents mm-hmm. and things like that. And Ultimately, cognitive diffusion is about forcing yourself to be aware that a wider world exists. Yes. And um, right. And the way the way I think about it a lot, because this is something I have had to think about for a long time in a lot of different contexts, is sort of cognitive fusion in is is sort of caring about someone, and cognitive diffusion is having empathy for someone. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that um, with cognitive fusion, you sort of attach, right? You, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a form of closeness. Like, you, your feelings are sort of mapped to someone else's feelings. When they feel good, you feel good. When, you feel, when mm-hmm. they feel bad, you feel bad. And there's this sort of, you know, there's this, there's this annihilation in some sense of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is something that I dealt with a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, particularly with my mother. I was very sensitive to fluctuations in her moods for a variety of reasons. But... Part of where I often struggled, especially when I was young, is that because from my perspective, we were always feeling the same thing, uh, it was very difficult 
to get out of the notion that we weren't thinking the same thing. Hmm. You know, and uh, in this way, um, something that I was only really able to master, you know, later in life, you know, six or seven years from now, when I finally figure out what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, sort of the foundation of empathy as opposed to attachment is being able to see not some other person, but to see how they see the world. Hmm. And you can't do that if you're trapped in your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to be able to step outside yourself to be able to actually engage with someone the way that they engage with the world in like a, a mature and, and empathetic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we've talked before, though, about the idea of things like anxiety being a narrative emotion. Is that... Mm-hmm makes sense is that accurate i want to make sure i'm representing us yeah the way we've actually yeah but i feel like that that can be one of the really powerful benefits of this distancing distancing we're talking about uh is that i feel like the the less fused you are with that internal narrative you have for yourself and and your your feeling the easier it is to sort of rewrite it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The, yeah, the what, more what, inside what, a narrative you feel like you are, the tougher it is to see an alternative. Yeah, it's like, uh, what's um, what's the expression in writing? Uh, kill your darlings? Kill your darlings, yeah. Oh, I've you never know, heard it's, that. It's, it's sort of the very same idea, where, like, you look at a story through the context of, you know, as a writer, through the context of what's compelling to you about it, like, what moved you to right. write it, like, what grabs you about the thing you wrote. And uh, one of the reasons that is very important to have other people read your writing is that, you know, they're going to come at it from another perspective and they'll have a different sense of what works in it, what doesn't. And that comes from their lack of fusion with it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and, and Megan, the, the point of that phrase, kill your darlings, is sort of the the general rule i guess or the generally true observation that the tighter (laughs) yeah the heuristic right that the tighter you hold on to that original idea and your close idea the worse your story will end up being Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because of that closeness yeah yeah like you don't you don't have the perspective to tell what works and what doesn't if you just stick to what you like yeah and what you've decided is important you have to have sort of the discipline to cut away even things that are important to you if they're not working. You have to be right. able to establish that distance. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess... What would be a good ending to this? We could do, like, a cognitive diffusion exercise. Maybe one that's a little bit less Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, let's see. Okay. And so, we're gonna end this episode with a diffusion exercise called leaves on the stream and it's similar to a mindfulness exercise so if you're in the space for it it's best to try and sit in a comfortable position and either close your eyes or rest them gently on a fixed spot in the room and so go ahead and take a a moment to do that And now take a moment to visualize yourself sitting beside a gently flowing stream with leaves floating along the surface of the water. 
and for the next few minutes, take each thought that enters your mind and place it on a leaf. And just let it float by. Do this with each thought, pleasurable, painful, or neutral. Even if you have a joyous or, or enthusiastic thought, place it on a leaf and let it float by. And if your thoughts momentarily stop, just continue to watch the stream. Sooner or later, your thoughts will start up again. allow the stream to flow at its own pace. Don't try to speed it up and rush your thoughts along. You're not trying to rush the leaves along or, or get rid of your thoughts. You're allowing them to come and go at their own pace. And if you notice that your mind says, this is stupid, or I'm bored, or I'm not doing it right, just take those thoughts and place them on a leaf too, and let them pass. If a leaf gets stuck, allow it to hang around until it's ready to float by. And if the thought comes up again, watch it float by another time. And if a difficult or painful feeling arises, simply acknowledge it. Say to yourself, I notice myself having a feeling of boredom, impatience, or frustration. Take those thoughts and place them on a leaf and allow it to float along. From time to time, your thoughts may hook you and distract you from being fully present in this exercise, and that's normal. As soon as you realize that you've become sidetracked, 
gently bring your attention back to the stream. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes and come back to the, the room or wherever you're at. And so what was that like? What did you, what did you guys notice? Um, grounding, I don't know, a grounding exercise. I feel much calmer, less busy mind. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I, I had two main reactions to it. Uh, one of them was that it's sort of it's sort of an interesting way to sort of crystallize the notion that your thoughts are separate from you, right? Mm -hmm. You have a thought, you have a thought, but then the thought isn't you. The thought is just sort of this free floating thing that you made. Mm -hmm. And the other is that this visualization exercise reminds me very strongly of the video game Frogger. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to uh, take that thought and put it on the stream? I was, which had which was very strange to visualize. Yeah, because it was like it was like you had I had this one Recursive. lily pad floating down the river, and on that lily pad was a river with a frog jumping across lily pads <laughs> on it. It was very. It was like a re recursive image. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It was interesting. Yeah, for sure. And and you can do this with with other visualizations, whatever works best for you. Some people, some people like to put their thoughts in clouds, you know, wrap them up in clouds as the clouds float by. Or if you Chocolates are... on a conveyor belt with your friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like cars on a highway, I guess is, is another one that's possible. Cats on parade. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, some thoughts are going to stick around a little bit longer sit there and maybe lick their butts a little bit, but then they'll eventually walk by, you know? Yep. Um, we all had that thought that just wants to lick its own butt, you know, <laughs> right there in front oh of my. God and everybody. <laughs> but yeah, so this is, uh, it's not always an easy exercise. You know, actually, some people can't really even do it at all because it's very, it can be difficult for people to sort of visualize this and, and that's fine, you know, use some other technique, but it is, it is a skill. So it's something that you can get better at doing with practice and being patient with yourself. But yeah, a big part of the process is learning how to reframe any difficulties that you have during the exercise as 
be able to put those on the leaves on the stream and, and sort of see it as opportunities for growth, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you have to be able to see how you think about the exercise as a thought to defuse from within the exercise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a skill, right? It's a tool, so... Yeah, you have, you have to sort of be okay with, like, a succession of lily pads floating down the river, each of them saying, this is stupid, this is stupid, this yeah. is stupid, this is stupid. <laughs> this is bullshit. This is... <laughs> fuck, Megan. Right. Practice, practice, yeah. practice, practice. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, that's just, uh, that's, a. Uh, Another diffusion tool, and I'll go ahead and link some other exercises and some more reading, so you can find those along with the episode. Um, and as always, if there are any questions, any comments, thoughts, put them on a leaf and send them to us. Yeah, you can, you can <laughs> email us at nbncast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Twitter uh, NBN cast uh, that our social media intern uh, tirelessly works at. <laughs> and uh, we have a curious cat linked to the NBN cast Twitter account that you can leave us messages for. And if we get enough of those, we'll do a mailbag. Yeah. And if there are things that maybe you don't want to, you know, if you want to be anonymous, if there are things you don't necessarily want your identity tied to, then yeah, that's a good way to go. All right, so for Naughty by Nurture, I'm George. Uh, I'm Megan. And I'm Andrew. All right. Tight. Six, six, nice. Do, 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 do. This is where the music goes. <laughs> All right.